Welcome to the Way of Christ, a path for spiritual growth presented by Church of the Incarnation in Dallas, Texas. Each week, we will explore central topics of the Christian faith and practice, emphasizing what it means to be a member of a community committed to spiritual growth in Christ. Our focus for Season 1 is Mapping the Christian Faith, and Episode 7 is titled, How Do We Get There? Part 3, The Spirit as a Guide in Prayer. Today's discussion is led by Dr. Christopher Beely and was originally recorded on October 22nd, 2023. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, graft in us hearts of prayer, hearts that seek to know you and love you and serve you. Open our hearts and our minds to your will and bless us now uh, with wisdom, uh, instruction, and new habits uh, as we study what it means to be people of prayer, through the mercy of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, today is one of those topics that might seem uh, more evidently practical at the face of it. We are going to talk about uh, practices of prayer, how to pray, and all of that. But first, I want to ground us in an understanding of what prayer is and why it falls here in our sequence. We've been studying the goal of our life in God, how this is made possible for us through God's Son, Jesus, by the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, what's standing in the way, which we call sin in our tradition. And today, uh, we come in talking about prayer. The first point to understand is that we're not just talking about what you do like this, maybe on your knees or however you pray at night. Prayer, rather, is one of the main ways that the scriptures describe the character of our entire life. Prayer is a whole life. It's not just the prayers we say, although we do. Prayer, we might say, is the very heart of our life. I think you'll see what I mean as I go on a little bit more. Um, all of the saints, we have a lot of recorded prayers uh, in Scripture from the, from the Pentateuch all the way through the book of Revelation. And we know that our Lord Jesus himself took time away from his work, his ministry, and from his own disciples to pray to God the Father. So prayer is the very heart of the Christian life. Why is that? Well, it's because of what prayer is. And I want to just begin with a couple of descriptions or definitions of what prayer is. I hope you have a handout uh, that you got coming in. There's space on the back at the bottom uh, for notes if you want to add some of your own notes there. I'll draw our attention to several of the passages that we have in front of us. First, let me describe and define prayer as the direct contact that we have with God. Prayer is coming into contact with God directly. By the ministry of God's Son, Jesus, we have access to the Father, and we come to the Father with petitions, thanksgivings, confessions, hopes, silent groans, all kinds of things that we call prayer. Prayer is direct contact with God, I invite you to imagine with me how this might be the case. Let's think about ourselves. How is it that we have contact with one another as human beings? If you think about it, all of our contact with one another is through our bodies. 
We talk about body language. When you're in the presence with a friend, it's, it's better and different than if you're just on Zoom or on the telephone. Our bodies matter. We are embodied creatures. But this also goes for our words. We come together through sharing stories and expressions of affection and hopes and so on. Our speech brings us together, and even our speech is embodied, isn't it? It comes from a body. The sound waves go through the physical air received by our ears, processed through our brains, and so on. We live in or as bodies in time and space, and all of our relationships, our interactions, are in some respect bodily, even if they're much more than that. But does God have a body? Well, he took on a body when the the Son of God became human in Jesus. But apart from the incarnation, God doesn't have a body. God is beyond time and space and physical existence and everything that we know that frames our lives and our being. So how then would we come into contact, we who are bodily and spiritual creatures, how would we come into contact with God? Through prayer. Prayer is the communing of our hearts and our minds with the very being of God. If you look on the back page of your handout, you'll see at the top there from one of of the great spiritual masters of Agrius of Pontus. Listen to this beautiful language, descriptions about prayer. Prayer is a continual intercourse of the spirit with God. Just as bread is nourishment for the body and virtue for the soul, so spiritual prayer is nourishment for the higher mind. A few more sayings from Evagrius. Prayer is the fruit of joy and thanksgiving. It's an ascent of the Spirit to God. Let us cast all our concerns on God, Evagrius says, echoing St. Paul, of course, and it will be well with us. The final line there I couldn't resist sharing with you. It's often used in seminaries and academic contexts. Uh, it's a truer statement was never said. Evagrius says, if you are a theologian, you truly pray. And if you truly pray, you are a theologian. Everything that it means to know and love God is tied up in this activity that we call prayer. I want to say a few things about uh, the fundamental practice of prayer that we learn from the scriptures and from the early church in particular. I'm going to talk a little bit more about prayer in general and how does a a time or a, a period of prayer look like, and then I'm going to spend most of the session teaching about prayer by commenting on the prayer that Jesus taught us, the Lord's prayer. Most teaching about prayer in the Christian tradition comes in the form of a commentary on the Lord's Prayer. So I'll be doing that in just a moment. A couple more things, though, by way of introduction. If you remember the language of the Eucharistic prayers that we say each Sunday, you will appreciate that in in a proper sense, all of our prayers are given to God the Father through his son Jesus 
in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we pray to Jesus and we pray to the Holy Spirit also, but they come from God the Father. They do the will of the Father. And so all of our prayers are really aimed at God the Father ultimately, in effect. And so that's how the Eucharistic prayers go. It is right to give you thanks and praise, O Lord God and Father, blah, 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 because your Son did this and taught us to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer, in other words, is an experience of the Holy Trinity. In prayer, more than probably any other time, except for the sharing of the sacraments, we enter right into the life of the Trinity. We stand there beside the Lord Jesus. Remember, we gave you a picture of the Trinity a few weeks ago. As brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus, We come alongside him as adopted sons and daughters, and with the wind and the breath and the power of the Spirit blowing through us, we are able to pray and have communion directly with God the Father. The second thing I want to add uh, before going on to the Lord's Prayer is about the life of prayer. What does a life of prayer consist in? The most fundamental practices and patterns of Christian prayer, this has been true from the first generations of the church onward, they involve three things. The first is the least surprising. It's the centrality of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples asked him how to pray, and he taught us. That's an amazing fact if you stop and think about it. We have the actual words and teaching of Jesus on how to pray. So the Lord's Prayer is at the center of our prayer life. The second principle of the practice of prayer is the observance of rhythms or times of the day. The most stable and regular rhythm of prayer through the history of the church is praying three times a day, if you can. Praying in the morning, Praying in the evening at the end of the day to recollect what the day's been like, pray for a healthy rest, and then finding a time, even if it's 60 seconds in the middle of the day, to pause and pray. And each of those times, we are at least to offer the Lord's Prayer. So the centrality of the Lord's Prayer, the rhythms of the day, and third is the use of the Psalter. Now, this is one of the the great... Um, benefits and glories of our particular denomination that we pray the Psalms every Sunday in the daily office of morning and evening prayer. The heart of the daily office is actually the Psalms. Everything else is kind of gathered around that. And we have such a beautiful Psalter, a modified Coverdale Psalter in our 1979 prayer book. Many think it's the best Psalter in the English language right now for the use of prayer because it prays so well. In the Psalms, we join with the saints of Israel and with the apostles, the saints throughout history, and with the Lord himself. Jesus prayed the Psalms. The Psalter is the first prayer book of God's people. It's the prayer book stuck there hidden inside the Bible. So the Lord's Prayer, the use of the Psalter, uh, and praying at regular times of day are staple pieces of a life of Christian prayer. Okay, a couple more 
uh, sort of, you know, practical instructions, look at the very bottom of the second page of your handout. The earliest and most influential work on prayer uh, outside of the Bible was written by Origen of Alexandria uh, in the late second, early third century. And Origen basically just called through the scriptures and pulled together everything he saw the Bible teaching us about prayer. Here is on the left side there, the five moments of prayer. So I offer this to you uh, as a template, a framework for your prayers, for a time of prayer. Let's look how it works. It's, it's very interesting. Our prayers, Origen says, following the scriptures and the saints, our prayers ought to begin with praise. We begin by praising God just for who God is, for God's being and glory and beauty and truth, and also for God's benefits, the things that God has done for God's people, and so on. We praise God through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity again. So our prayers begin with praise. Secondly, we move to thanksgiving. This is when we're thinking more specifically about, well, what has God done for God's people, for the church, for our world, and for ourselves? So we thank God for God's benefits. Third, notice it's third. Only after we've given God praise and thanks, we come to a point of confession, the confession of our sin. Where have we strayed from God? We need to do our part to repair the relationship as we come to God in the communion of prayer. Now, this is very interesting. Notice what confession of sin entails. First, the recollection of our sins. We can ask the Lord to show us where we've strayed. Why? Because we are, uh, we are a mystery to ourselves. We are ignorant of ourselves. We need God's grace even to know how we've sinned. So we ask for the grace of recollection. Secondly, we pray that God would heal our habits that lead us to sin. So we have to understand what our sin is. Second, before we've even said we're sorry, Lord, please heal me. Now, that's an implicit confession or apology right there, isn't it? So we actually show that we want to change. It's not a superficial, you know, throwaway apology. Oh, I'm sorry for that. No, heal me, oh Lord. And then thirdly, uh, we ask for forgiveness for how we've strayed. And God loves nothing more than to forgive us. It's God's favorite thing to do. So that's third. Fourth then we come to what we often think of first about our prayers, and those are the petitions, the things we ask for. We want to pray for a number of things, but first, we need to pray for what Origen calls the great and heavenly things. Pray for God's healing of the nations, for the peace in our community, for what my neighbor needs, and then we pray for what we ourselves need. And then finally, we conclude again with praise, with some form of doxology of God through Christ in the Spirit. This is a wonderful, timeless template for a healthy and a nourishing time of prayer. Now, when I lay this out, I wonder if, if this looks familiar to you at all. It might, because every Sunday 
and every day if you pray the daily office, this is exactly the shape of the collects of the Book of Common Prayer. We begin by extolling God's name, Almighty God, who blah, blah, blah. Thank you for this. Maybe there's a confession there, maybe not. Give us this, what we need, and so on, through Christ the Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. So this is the classic shape of our prayers, and I offer this uh, to you for your own prayers. I want to make one more comment, uh, and that is we begin with praise, and only later do we come to confession, and there's a very important reason for that for our spiritual health. It's because we need to focus first on who God is, on God's goodness, God's mercy, God's majesty and power and truth. And only in light of that should we then come to the Lord and think about our shortcomings. If you do it the other way around, it can be quite destructive. And I hope that makes sense. Secondly, on the right side then, I've given you the four steps of uh, sacred reading, Lectio Divina. This is the most common practice uh, of prayer throughout the church. Uh, the, The five moments on the left fit into this. And there are these four stages. It's very, very simple. Uh, Lectio Divina begins first with reading or Lectio, reading the scriptures. We read God's scriptures, God's word. Meditatio means not like silent, passive meditation in the modern sense, but it means to think about, to wrestle with, to stew on, and to chew like the cud the word of scripture that we've read. And then that leads us, thirdly, to prayer itself, oratio, which all of these five moments could fit into that third oratio. And then finally, lectio ends in a time of contemplation, and the uh, the goal of contemplation is merely to be with the Lord, to commune with God, often in silence. You might still have emotions flowing, some thoughts will come and go, This is the basic shape of Christian prayer, mechanically speaking, through the centuries. Our prayer, in other words, is always scriptural. It's rooted in the scriptures and its response uh, to God's word to us in the scriptures. Okay. With those uh, introductory remarks, let me then turn us to the Lord's Prayer. I've given you, uh, on the Front page, the top is Matthew 6, Jesus' teaching of the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew's version, which is the one in uh, our liturgies. The Lord's Prayer is meant to be not only a single prayer that we say, and we say it in all of our services, Eucharist, daily office, say it individually, but the Lord's Prayer is also meant to be uh, a framework and, again, a template for all of our prayers. One of the most important things that we should all be doing in our practice of prayer is saying the Lord's Prayer without hurrying. If we only say it together in the liturgy, we kind of go through it pretty quickly. And of course, you know, there's probably nothing more than the Lord's Prayer that we all know by heart, right? Uh, But it can just become rote and um, almost thoughtless. So again, one, one of the most productive and helpful practices of prayer is simply to say the Lord's Prayer slowly and to really think about it. Well, what does it say? 
So the Lord's Prayer uh, begins with that first moment of prayer that we just talked about. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus teaches us to prayer first by extolling the name of God, identifying and praising who God is. God is our heavenly Father, and God's name encapsulates God's character. None of us can ever fully understand who and what God is. God's holiness is always beyond our imagining and our dreaming. But we lift up the name of God, nevertheless, at the beginning of our prayers. And so we're growing year by year by year in a deeper knowledge of God's name. But Jesus taught us to call God by the same name that he did, which is Father. Abba. This is a term of radical intimacy for anyone of that time who is imagining what is God like? What? The, The creator, the sovereign power and governor of all the universe is my papa? This is unbelievable knowledge to a Greek or Roman or even in much of the Old Testament. So Jesus teaches us to come to the Lord as as Jesus' brothers and sisters, his disciples, and to call God like he did, our Father. In other words, when we say the Lord's Prayer or any of our prayers, we share in Jesus' relationship to the Father. The Lord's Prayer, in other words, is the prayer of the saints. It's a believer's prayer. The fact that we call God Father indicates that we have been made friends and children and sons of daughters of God instead of being enemies or slaves of God, the heir who is a slave. Galatians 4, we've given you that passage on the handout as well. Finally, when we call God our Father and praise his name, we're claiming God's love for us. This is a relationship of love and support and nourishment and affection. So our prayers begin, as we've already heard, with praise for who God is and for God's name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. May your rule come on earth as it is in heaven. And may your rule, your kingdom, specifically come in our own hearts, and in our own lives. The word kingdom can be best translated in that active word rule, God's active ruling power and influence. So this is the first, we praise God's name, but this is the first thing we pray for. We are taught first to pray that God would reign on the earth, in our lives, among his people, and so on. Think about what that means. It's an acknowledgement that we as creatures are under the influence. We are under the influence of one thing or another. As Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. St. Paul is very clear about this. We are living as slaves of, take your pick, slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness, children of God. 
When we pray this line of the prayer, it's a very unmodern thing to do because we imagine we're independent and self-determining and masters of the universe. Nothing could be further from the truth. We acknowledge that we are under the influence of God. We want to be governed and ruled by God. And that's the foundation of everything else that we go on to pray for later in the prayer. To live as a human being is to be under the power of various things, and we ought to be under God's power, not something else. Well, God's rule begins in our hearts and our minds, and then it spreads out throughout our lives for God's kingdom to come. We're praying both for God's rule in our own individual lives, our family and a church, and in wider society, for God's justice and for God's righteousness to reign. The Anglican theologian F.D. Morris comments that God's reign penetrates our feelings and our habits and our thoughts and our words, and then finally, our acts. When we pray, thy kingdom come, Morris continues, we pray for the extinction of all tyranny, for the exposure and destruction of corruption in society and institutions, for truth in all departments of government and art and science and the true dignity of the professions. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. It's very similar, but may our wills be conformed to God's will. May God's will be done first among us and yes, throughout the whole world. St. Teresa of Avila gives this wonderful encouragement and comforting word. She says, have no fear that our Lord wants to give you riches or pleasures or honors or other worldly goods. He loves you too much for that. He values your gifts too highly. (laughs) What is God's will? Thy will be done. God's will, above all, is that we would love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. God's will is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Everything else is secondary, is Teresa's point. St. Thomas Aquinas identifies three things that God wills for us paradigmatically. First, God wills that we would have eternal life in him. Secondly, that we would keep God's commandments. We would follow Christ and his ways. And thirdly, that we as creatures would be restored to our own created state of health and dignity and well-being or flourishing. God wills all of that for us. Indeed, we have a very good God and Father. Okay, all of this on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that we are to pray for all of that before we come to any petitions for ourselves. But we do come to petitions for ourselves. On the front page, uh, the second and third quotes from Matthew 7 and Exodus 32 are examples of the power of prayer in our lives. Thinking especially of, uh, this is still in the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord's Prayer also comes from. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus teaches several times in different ways. God yearns to answer our prayers. And there are these amazing examples in the Old Testament, such as Exodus 32, where the prophets or the saints 
change God's mind in that situation. God hears their prayers and responds. So the first thing that we pray for for ourselves is very important. Give us this day our daily bread. What is bread? As St. Teresa said, not give me a big storehouse of riches, give me the biggest house in the world. No, it's just give me a little bread, right? Bread in the scriptures, it's the fundamental foodstuff of ancient Israel. It sort of symbolizes all that we need in our bodies. God cares for a single hair of our head that falls, Jesus says, just like the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Jesus teaches us, in other words, to pray to God every day for the most basic things that we need, food and water and shelter, but only enough for today. It's very clear. Give us our bread for the morrow or for today, one day at a time. Now, this echoes other teachings in the scriptures about how tomorrow has enough worries of its own or don't build up for yourself storehouses and so on, but uh, your treasure should be in heaven and where your treasure is there, your heart will be. We are to be people, in other words, who are constantly dependent on God for all that we need and indeed the most basic things. Now, notice how this works socially. Who doesn't need their bread? Who doesn't need food and water and warmth and shelter and love and so on? We all do. Doesn't matter where we're from. Doesn't matter how wealthy we are. Doesn't matter who our friends are. We all have the same basic needs. So this prayer is sort of a great equalizer if you want. But bread is also more than just manna or pan or whatever your favorite kind of bread is. Bread in the scriptures is also heavenly food. The manna in the wilderness And Jesus tells us that humans don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is himself our bread. He is the bread of life as the word of God. So when we pray, give us our daily bread, we're also praying for God to feed us with himself. But again, the act is one of feeding. We are hungry. That's how we're made. And it's actually good to be hungry. It's not sinful. It's good to need these things, and God wants to meet our needs. Well, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. That's actually what the Greek says. It's our debts. It's what we owe. Now, we know that we owe all kinds of people all sorts of things. It's impossible to be sitting in this room today and breathing in and out if many, many other people have not fed into us and supported us and so on. In fact, lots of people we don't even know, we can't even remember. So we are indebted in all kinds of ways and even more to God. In fact, we're indebted. We owe God more than we could possibly ever pay. So we ask for God's forgiveness for our debts that we cannot pay, for we have forgiven those who are indebted to us. You may have heard me teach already, this is the only line in the Lord's Prayer that gets a commentary at the end. It's utterly essential that we forgive others. We can't expect God to forgive us if we don't want to forgive others.
St. John Cassian writes this wonderful uh, statement about forgiveness that we are, uh, if we see somebody offending against God, even in a very serious way, we might shrug it off or be mild about it, but what inexorable exactors we are when someone offends us in the slightest, right? We're not naturally forgiving people. So part of a life of prayer is to be forgiving and to seek God's forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the final petition, save us from the time of trial. That's the right to modern version of the prayer, and it's a very good translation. To be tested and tempted and tried is, again, an essential part of the Christian life. Letter to James says, blessed are those who come under trial. Why? Because as the psalmist says, God tests us and tries us in order to mold and shape us. But we need God's help to endure such temptations uh, and such trials. Save us from the time of trial, the prayer says. Not don't ever let me be tempted. See, notice we're talking about adult faith. Right? A childish faith wants to sort of hide and be in that just, I don't ever want to have any challenges or problems. That's not the picture of holiness that we get from the scriptures. We have many challenges and problems, and we pray for God's strength to overcome them. Finally, then, the prayer ends with that doxology. For thine is the kingdom again. Yours is the rule, O Lord. Yours is the power. You're able to do all this. You can do whatever you want or need, O Lord, and yours is the glory, not us. It's not our glory, it's your glory. So this is the shape of all of our prayers. I hope that those thoughts unpack for you a little bit and open places in your heart where you can come to the Lord with a fuller sense of your own being and a bit more of yourself. The final thing that I want to say is it's one of the most famous things said and taught about prayer, and it comes from uh, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, it's the fourth quote there, 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pray constantly. Pray all the time. Make your whole life a prayer. Now, I'm going to close with this thought. How does that happen? That does not happen by just snapping your fingers or saying, okay, I'm going to start praying ceaselessly right now. It doesn't work that way. Constant prayer comes as the fruit of the discipline of the practices that I've been talking about, especially praying through the Lord's Prayer regularly and dwelling and steeping ourselves in the Scriptures, right? That Lectio Divina, that Scripture-based prayer over time shapes our hearts and our habits, and our actions, so that we actually become people whose whole lives are a prayer. Well, thanks be to God for the gift of the grace of prayer, that he's, through his son Jesus, he's opened the door of partition and given us the ability to commune directly with the heart of God through the Holy Spirit. All right, let me take time for uh, a few questions. Father Matt's got the mic here. Does anybody want to talk about anything with prayer? There's one up here. Time flies when you're having fun. So. <laughs> it's kind of...
Um, on the five mo- moments of prayer, I have a question about confession. Is that more like relating to a relational kind of short account thing in terms of praying for forgiveness, or is it like a mechanical forgiveness? Because I see Jesus dying once for all, for all of my sins, and I'm, I'm just curious how that works. I don't, I don't know if that question makes sense. That's a great, I think, well, if I'll, I'll answer what I think you said. <laughs> yes, Jesus has indeed died once for all for sin. He has defeated sin, death, and the devil. Uh, those have been defeated. Um, we receive the forgiveness of sins in our baptism, right? And through faith and the grace of the Spirit, but then we turn away. And we, we need to, as the prayer says, when we fall into sin from the baptismal liturgy, when you fall into sin, will you repent and return to the Lord? So it's that returning to the Lord to do our part to repair the relationship. Uh, so I hope I'm answering your question. Yeah, great. Um, what, what would you say is the value of written prayers? Like the morning and evening prayers in the St. Augustine prayer book. Is that better or does that guide us to our own prayers? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's one of our favorite things about being Anglican, isn't it? That we have a book of common prayer with these amazing, beautiful prayers. I think it's just a huge gift, right? That we learn to pray from the saints through history that have been pulled together in the prayer book or St. Augustine's prayer book or whatever, and that molds us and shapes us. And in fact, that's what we do when we gather every Sunday. Uh, so it's a both and, but we ought to also have our own spontaneous prayers. Uh, it's really both. And even when I hope, when we're praying the written prayers, we're praying it like we mean it. You see what I mean? So it's both. I love the prayer book, I think, as much as you do. (laughs) I need the discipline that you speak of tremendously. But the question I have is, is prayer also not just an awareness outside of ourselves? In other words, we're going to walk out and there's a beautiful day out there are we aware of, of who has given this beautiful... I mean, I, I'm just asking... Yeah. That's well said. <laughs> Are we aware of who's given us this beautiful day? That's right. Yeah, exactly. As our, as, our, as our hearts and our minds grow in the activity of prayer, we come to experience everything in our lives in connection with the one who gave it to us. So it's an actual active communion with God, a relationship and loving the Lord in the moment when I'm admiring how beautiful the day is or maybe struggling with how cold and rainy it is, right? That's right, absolutely. Hi, could you talk a little bit more about the difference between praying directly to God the Father and to Jesus the Son? Yeah, well, um, I wouldn't say that they're, they're they're different, but when we pray to Christ or with Christ, the point was just that all of our prayers ultimately transcend up to God the Father. Uh, one of the reasons that's so important is because Jesus is our model and our helper in prayer, 
So we need to see ourselves as praying with him. We pray to him, but even when we pray to him, we're praying with him to the Father. Do you see what I mean? Again, it's about living in and living out the life of the Trinity uh, ourselves. So that's a short answer to a very complex question. <laughs> yeah. Would you see centering or contemplative prayer as a separate category or kind of part and parcel of what you've already mentioned? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, so centering or contemplative prayer, uh, this is a, a practice of silent meditation or having a prayer word. That's actually that fourth stage of Lectio Divina. And in the deep tradition, centering prayer is never meant to happen by itself. I don't mean in the, it's fine to do it in the moment. I just mean it's, it's not meant, uh, our prayer lives are not meant to be only centering prayer. We still have to have this full life of living through the scriptures in the community of the church and so on. And one of the most interesting things that the monks teach us especially is that the gift of contemplation comes as a result of those other stages. See, so the reading, the meditating and chewing, and then the petitionary prayer, that actually leads us to contemplation. Again, we're not meant to just try to snap our fingers and contemplate. That's not really Christian prayer. But with that said, centering prayer, which uh, Cistercians, among others, have taught, is a, a beautiful and marvelous activity. So I've been to centering prayer retreats myself. So. Okay, friends. <laughs> Father Matt's about to yank me off the stage. <laughs> Can we stand and pray then? <laughs> Let us pray in the words that our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve and pray to the Lord. Thank you for listening to The Way of Christ, a path for spiritual growth. Join us next week for episode eight titled, How Do We Get There? Part four, the spirit as a guide in sacrament. Those in the Dallas area are invited to join us on Wednesday nights as we dive deeper into our weekly topics in a dynamic group discussion. This podcast is produced by Church of the Incarnation, located in Dallas, Texas. Our sound editor is Robert Nash, and our theme song is Raise a Voice by Emery. Follow us on Instagram at IncarnationDFW or on Facebook at Church of the Incarnation. For more information on our church, please visit our website, www.incarnation.org. Thank you for listening.